chapter eleven of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven the new home when mrs gary embarked she entertained the idea so prevalent among fresh-water sailors that she was to be an exception to the rule of father neptune in accordance with which all who intrude for the first time upon his domain are compelled to pay tribute to his greatness and humbly bow in acknowledgment of his power mrs gary had determined not to be seasick upon any account whatever being fully persuaded she could brave the ocean with impunity and was accordingly very brisk and blithe-looking as she walked up and down upon the deck of the vessel in the course of a few hours they sailed out of the harbour and were soon in the open sea she began to find out how mistaken she had been as unmistakable symptoms convinced her of the vanity of all human calculations why you are not going to be ill m after all your valiant declarations exclaimed mr gary supporting her unsteady steps as they paced to and fro oh no no said she in a firm tone i don't intend to give up to any such nonsense i believe that people can keep up if they try i do feel a little fatigued and nervous it's caused no doubt by the long drive of this morning although i think it singular that a drive should affect me in this manner thus speaking she sat down by the bulwarks of the vessel and a despairing look gradually crept over her face at last she suddenly rose to look at the water as we may imagine the effect of her scrutiny however was that she asked feebly to be assisted to her state-room where she remained until their arrival in the harbour of new york the children suffered only for a short time and as their father escaped entirely he was able to watch that they got into no mischief they were both great favourites with the captain and steward and between the two were so stuffed and crammed with sweets as to place their health in considerable jeopardy it was a delightful morning when they sailed into the harbour of new york the waters were dancing and rippling in the morning sun and the gaily painted ferry-boats were skimming swiftly across its surface in their trips to and from the city which was just awaking to its daily life of bustling toil what an immense city it is said mrs gary how full of life and bustle why there are more ships at one pier here than there are in the whole port of savannah yes dear rejoined her husband and what is more there always will be our folks in georgia are not waked up yet and when they do arouse themselves from their slumber it will be too late but we don't see half the shipping from here this is only one side of the city there is much more on the other look over there continued he pointing to jersey city that is where we take the cars for philadelphia and if we get up to dock in three or four hours we shall be in time for the midday train in less time than they anticipated they were alongside the wharf 
the trunks were brought up and all things for present use were safely packed together and dispatched under the steward's care to the office of the railroad mr and mrs gary after bidding good-bye to the captain followed with the children who were thrown into a great state of excitement by the noise and bustle of the crowded thoroughfare how this whirl and confusion distracts me said mrs gary looking out of the carriage window i hope philadelphia is not as noisy a place as this oh no replied mr gary it is one of the most quiet and clean cities in the world whilst this is the noisiest and dirtiest i always hurry out of new york it is to me such a disagreeable place with its extortionate hackman and filthy streets on arriving at the little steamer in which they crossed the ferry they found it about to start and therefore had to hurry on board with all possible speed under the circumstances the hackman felt that it would be flying in the face of providence if he did not extort a large fare and he therefore charged an extravagant price mr gary paid him as he had no time to parley and barely succeeded in slipping a douceur into the steward's hand when the boat pushed off from the pier in a few moments they had crossed the river and were soon comfortably seated in the cars whirling over the track to philadelphia as the conductor came through to examine the tickets he paused for a moment before mrs gary and the children as he passed on his assistant inquired isn't that a nigger yes a half-white one was the reply why don't you order her out then she has no business to write in here continued the first speaker i guess we had better let her alone suggested the conductor particularly as no one has complained and there might be a row if she turned out to be the nurse to those children the whole party are southerners that's clear and these southerners are mighty touchy about their niggers sometimes and kicking out like the devil about them i guess we'd better let her alone unless someone complains about her being there as they drove through the streets of philadelphia on the way to their new home mrs gary gave vent to many expressions of delight at the appearance of the city oh what a sweet place everything is so bright and fresh-looking why the pavement and doorsteps look as if they were cleaned out twice a day just look at that house how spotless it is i hope ours resembles that ours is a new house is it not she inquired not entirely it has been occupied before but only for a short time i believe was her husband's reply it had grown quite dark by the time they arrived at winter street where caddy had been anxiously holding watch and ward in company with the servants who had been procured for them a bright light was burning in the entry as the coachman stopped at the door this is number twenty seven said he opening the door of the carriage shall i ring yes do replied mr gary but whilst he was endeavouring to open the gate of the little garden in front caddy who had heard the carriage stop bounded out to welcome them this is mr gary i suppose said she as he alighted yes i am and you i suppose are the daughter of mr zealous yes sir i'm sorry mother is not here to welcome you she was here until very late last night expecting your arrival and was here again this morning said caddy taking at the same time one of the little carpet bags give me the little girl i can take care of her too she continued and with little elm 
on one arm and a carpet-bag on the other she led the way into the house we did not make up any fire said she the weather is very warm to us i don't know how it may feel to you though it is a little chilly replied mrs gary as she sat down upon the sofa and looked round the room with a smile of pleasure and added all this place wants to make it the most bewitching of rooms is a little fire daddy hurried the new servants from place to place remorselessly and set them to prepare the table and get the things ready for tea she waylaid a party of labourers who chanced to be coming that way and hired them to carry all the luggage upstairs had the desired fire made mixed up some corn bread and had tea on the table in a twinkling they all ate very heartily and caddy was greatly praised for her activity you are quite a housekeeper said mrs gary to caddy do you like it oh yes she replied i see to the house at home almost entirely mother and esther are so much engaged in sewing that they are glad enough to leave it in my hands and i'd much rather do that than sew i hope said mrs gary that your mother will permit you to remain with us until we get entirely settled i know she will confidently replied caddy she will be up here in the morning she will know you have arrived by my not having gone home this evening the children had now fallen asleep with their heads in close proximity to their plates and mrs gary declared that she felt very much fatigued and slightly indisposed and thought the sooner she retired the better it would be for her she accordingly went up to the room which she had already seen and greatly admired and was soon in the land of dreams as is always the case on such occasions the children's night dresses could not be found clarence was put to bed in one of his father's shirts in which he was almost lost and little em was temporarily accommodated with a calico short gown of caddies and in default of a nightcap had her head tied up in a madras handkerchief which gave her when her back was turned very much the air of an old creole who had been by some mysterious means deprived of her due growth the next morning mrs gary was so much indisposed as to be unable to rise and took her breakfast in bed her husband had finished his meal and was sitting in the parlour when he observed a middle-aged coloured lady coming into the garden look caddy cried he isn't this your mother oh yes that is she replied caddy and ran and opened the door exclaiming oh mother they are come and as she spoke mr gary came into the entry and shook hands heartily with her i'm so much indebted to you said he for arranging everything so nicely for us there's not a thing we would wish to alter i'm very glad you are pleased we did our best to make it comfortable was her reply and you succeeded beyond our expectation but do come up continued he emily will be delighted to see you she is quite unwell this morning has not even got up yet and leading the way upstairs he ushered mrs ellis into the bedroom why can this be you said she surveying emily with surprise and pleasure if i had met you anywhere i should never have known you how you have altered you were not so tall as my caddy when i saw you last and here you are with two children and pretty little things they are too said she kissing little em who was seated on the bed with her brother and sharing with him the remains of her mother's chocolate and you look much younger than i expected to see you replied mrs gary draw a chair up to the bed and let us have a talk about old times you must excuse my lying down i don't intend to get up to-day i feel quite indisposed mrs ellis took off her bonnet 
and prepared for a long chat whilst mr gary looking at his watch declared it was getting late and started for downtown where he had to transact some business you can scarcely think ellen how much i feel indebted to you for all you have done for us and we are so distressed to hear about charlie's accident you must have had a great deal of trouble oh no none to speak of and had it been ever so much i should have been just as pleased to have done it i was so glad you were coming what did put it in your heads to come here to live continued mrs ellis oh cousin george winston praised the place so highly and you know how disagreeable georgia is to live in my mind was never at rest there respecting these said she pointing to the children so that i fairly teased gary into it did you recognize george no i didn't remember much about him i should never have taken him for a colored man had i met him in the street i should have supposed him to be a wealthy white southerner what a gentleman he is in his appearance and manners said mrs ellis yes he is all that my husband thinks there is no one like him but we won't talk about him now i want you to tell me all about yourself and family and then i'll tell you everything respecting my own fortunes hereupon ensued long narratives from both parties which occupied the greater part of the morning mr gary in leaving the house slowly wended his way to the residence of mr walters as he passed into the lower part of the city his attention was arrested by the numbers of colored children he saw skipping merrily along with their bags of books on their arms this said he to himself don't much resemble georgia it is a penal offence in georgia to teach colored children to read after walking some distance he took out a card and read two fifty seven easton street and on inquiry found himself in the very street he proceeded to inspect the numbers and was quite perplexed by their confusion and irregularity a colored boy happening to pass at the time he asked him which way do the numbers run my little man the boy looked up waggishly and replied they don't run at all they are permanently affixed to each door but said mr gary half provoked yet compelled to smile at the boy's pompous wit you know what i mean i cannot find the number i wish the street is not correctly numbered the street is not numbered at all rejoined the boy but the houses are and he skipped lightly away mr gary was finally set right about the numbers and found himself at length before the door of mr walters's house quite a handsome residence said he as he surveyed the stately house with its spotless marble steps and shining silver door-plate on ringing his summons was quickly answered by a well-dressed servant who informed him that mr walters was at home and ushered him into the parlour the elegance of the room took mr gary completely by surprise as its furniture indicated not only great wealth but cultivated taste and refined habits the richly papered walls were adorned by paintings from the hands of well-known foreign and native artists rich vases and well-executed bronzes were placed in the most favourable situations in the apartment the elegantly carved walnut table was covered with those charming little bijoux which the french only are capable of conceiving and which are only at the command of such purchasers as are possessed of more money than they otherwise can conveniently spend mr gary threw himself into a luxuriously cushioned chair and was soon so absorbed in contemplating the likeness of a negro officer which hung opposite 
that he did not hear the soft tread of mr walters as he entered the room the latter stepping slowly forward caught the eye of mr garrett who started up astonished at the commanding figure before him mr garrett i presume said mr walters yes he replied and added as he extended his hand i have the pleasure of addressing mr walters i suppose mr walters bowed low as he accepted the proffered hand and courteously requested his visitor to be seated as mr geary resumed his seat he could not repress a look of surprise which mr walters apparently perceived for a smile slightly curled his lips as he also took a seat opposite his visitor mr walters was above six feet in height and exceedingly well proportioned of jet-black complexion and smooth glossy skin his head was covered with a quantity of woolly hair which was combed back from a broad but not very high forehead his eyes were small black and piercing and set deep in his head his aquiline nose thin lips and broad chin were the very reverse of african in their shape and gave his face a very singular appearance in repose his countenance was severe in its expression but when engaged in agreeable conversation the thin sarcastic-looking lips would part displaying a set of dazzlingly white teeth and the small black eyes would sparkle with animation the neatness and care with which he was dressed added to the attractiveness of his appearance his linen was the perfection of whiteness and his snowy vest lost nothing by its contact therewith a long black frock coat black pants and highly polished boots completed his attire i hope said he your house suits you it is one of my own and has never been rented except for a short time to a careful tenant who was waiting for his own house to be finished i think you will find it comfortable oh perfectly so i am quite sure i must thank you for the prompt manner in which you have arranged everything for us it seems more like coming to an old home than to a new residence replied mr Gary i am delighted to hear you say so said mr walters i shall be most happy to call and pay my respects to mrs gary when agreeable to her depend upon it we will do all in our power to make our quiet city pleasant to you both mr gary thanked him and after some further conversation rose to depart as he was leaving the room he stopped before the picture which had so engaged his attention when mr walters entered so you too are attracted by that picture said mr walters with a smile all white men look at it with interest a black man in the uniform of a general officer is something so unusual that they cannot pass it with a glance it is indeed rather a novelty replied mr gary particularly to a person from my part of the country who is it that is to saint louverture replied mr walters and i have every reason to believe it to be a correct likeness it was presented to an american merchant by toussaint himself a present in return for some kindness shown him this merchant's son not having the regard for the picture that his father entertained for it sold it to me that continued mr walters looks like a man of intelligence it is entirely different from any likeness i ever saw of him the portraits generally represent him as a monkey-faced person with a handkerchief about his head this said mr geary gives me an idea of the man that accords with his actions 
thus speaking he continued looking at the picture for a short time and then took his departure after requesting mr walters to call upon him at an early opportunity End of chapter eleven